Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome into Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Hope you had a fine, fine weekend. I hope you had a nice, lovely Thanksgiving. I hope you are ready to go and talk some soccer. All of the things that have happened over the last uh, four days or so are on the table. Although we will obviously focus on the events of the weekend here on Soccer Morning. Christian Hennage will join us in just a little bit to go over the events in England. We might also talk about the MLS Cup playoffs with Christian. He's certainly been keeping an eye on those. And we've got our finalists. We'll get to all of that. When we get to the news, there is a lot of things to go over this morning. So make sure you go ahead, punch in the phone number now, so that when we open up the phone lines later, you'll be ready to go uh, to give us a call, 646-832-3909. Is that phone number? Don't call now. Just put it in the phone. Think to yourself, what do I want to talk about? And then get ready to push the number. And, and yeah, we may call out some some regulars on this show today. Not to rub some salt in some wounds, but yeah, there's some guys who might need to to call up today and eat some humble pie. Let's do, let's start with the news. Let's do that. Let's run down all of the headlines from the last couple of days. We'll start with the MLS Cup playoffs yesterday. Portland draws 2-2 with FC Dallas in Frisco, Texas to win the series 5-3 on aggregate. Fernando Adi and Lucas Milano score for the Timbers. That Milano goal, very, very pretty indeed. Columbus holds off New York for 90-plus minutes, concedes once, and wins the Eastern Conference Final 2-1 on aggregate. Uh, so your matchup, Portland and Columbus in Columbus for the 2015 MLS Cup. The MLS Cup Final will take place in Columbus on Sunday. Columbus advanced to the final for the first time since 2008, and obviously this is the first final appearance for the Portland Timbers. In England, Jamie Vardy breaks Ruud van Nistelrooy's record of consecutive Premier League games with a goal thanks to a tally against Manchester United on Saturday. Bastian Schweinsteiger scores for United in a 1-1 draw uh, between the Red Devils and the Foxes. That uh, that result, obviously, with uh, some, some uh, bearing on the standings there in the Premier League, uh, Leicester City and Manchester City now tied on 29 points. Uh, with Manchester City having the tiebreaker at the moment with the superior goal difference. Uh, other Premier League results, Crystal Palace hangs five on Newcastle with a 5-1 win. Bournemouth and Everton played to a thrilling six-goal draw, 3-3 in that win. Norwich, uh, sorry, Norwich beats Arsenal 1-1, but for Arsenal, the bigger story, the loss of Alexis Sanchez and Laurent Koscielny, both of them injured in that match. Questions over... Uh, Arsene Wenger and his decision to play Sanchez in that game. Spurs and Chelsea played to a goalless draw, and Liverpool beats che- uh, beats Swansea, excuse me, one nothing. International politics trickling over to soccer as Russian President Vladimir Putin says that Russian clubs cannot sign any Turkish players. This is part of larger sanctions against Turkey. The sanctions stem from an, an incident where Turkish forces shot down a Russian warplane that they say entered Turkish airspace near Syria. This is obviously much, much bigger than soccer, but uh, as it relates to this game, Vladimir Putin putting a ban on Turkish players in the Russian Premier League. U.S. US International Fabian Johnson, there goes my voice on a Monday, scores twice while playing on the wing in Gladbach's uh, 3-3 draw with uh, Hoffenheim away to Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. Other German scores, Bayern Munich 3-1 over Hertha Berlin. 
Hanover 4 nothing over Ingolstadt. Werder Bremen losing 1-3 to Hamburg at home. Dortmund 4-1 over Stuttgart. And Leverkusen drawing 1-1 with Schalke. The finalists for the Ballon d'Or in 2015 are out. The three finalists, Lionel Messi, no surprise. Cristiano Ronaldo, no surprise. And Neymar, Lionel Messi's teammate, are Barcelona. Luis Suarez, obviously the third of that, uh, the third member of that group um, with, ne- uh, with uh, Neymar and uh, Messi, was not a finalist, obviously did make, not make the cut. And Lionel Messi is the favorite, uh, in part because of uh, Barcelona's Champions League win and the silverware won by his team over the course of the last calendar year. All right, and last but not least, Gianni Infantino, the uh, <coughs> excuse me, the UEFA presidential candidate, uh, the FIFA presidential candidate from UEFA, uh, UEFA's secretary general, second in command to Michel Platini, claims that he will institute reform if he's elected in February. I've heard that story before. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I don't really believe you, Mr. Infantino. Let's take a break. When we come back, Christian Hennage will join us. We'll talk about the Premier League results, Jamie Vardy. Uh, Arsenal woes, Chelsea and uh, Spurs playing into a goalless draw, and some MLS Cup finals as well, Cup final matchup as well. Soccer morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we are back on the air on a Monday, Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. We're joined now on the telephone from across the Atlantic by our friend Christian Hennage, who you can follow on Twitter and uh, read all of his work, uh, covering many different types of soccer, including the Premier League and uh, Major League Soccer as well. Christian, how are you, sir? I'm not too bad, thanks, Jason. How are you? I'm well. I imagine you might be a little a little weary this morning. Well, it's morning here, afternoon there. <laughs> a little weary considering uh, the the lateness of the games for you in MLS. But I, I want to start there. We have an MLS Cup final matchup now. Uh, Columbus Crew uh, hosting Portland Timbers, and obviously um, the story is is those two teams taking their advantage into the second leg and making it stand up. Uh, let me start out in the Western Conference. That was the earlier of the two games chronologically. It's a my brain works. Um, Portland, they, they did what they needed to do. I mean, ultimately, it was a 2-2 draw, and there was some nail-biting times. But uh, for the most part, I, I thought that they played within themselves and, and managed that game very well. I, I'm inclined to agree. It, it was interesting. I spoke to, to Walker Zimmerman quite recently, and he told me that for him, he felt they had the advantage going into the series because they'd earned the, the second leg at home. I think... I, I disagree with Walker. I think actually they had a massive disadvantage in that sense, not just because of the scoreline, I think just because of the fact that they knew kind of what they had to achieve. In this case, they had the pressure of, of trying to get either a 2-0 victory to, to advance or potentially 3-1 if they wanted to try and take it to, to extra time. That was, that was a big ask, even considering they had, had beaten Portland 4-1 already this season at, at home. I think it was a very different side that turned up to the one that they beat in, in late July, personally. And as you said, they played it expertly. They knew what they had in terms of that advantage and they knew what it meant, which allowed them to, to kind of sit deep and, and counter-attack. And I think, most importantly of all, you look at that central midfield, the, the Diego Chara, Valeri, Nagby, Triumvir. 
it just works beautifully. It, it meshes so well together. It complements each other. Chara mm. can do the defensive stuff, which he thrives at. Valeri can kind of pick passes. And then you've got Nagby, who's just this excellent ball carrier, who I think personally will, will do amazing things for the U.S. men's national team moving forward. Yeah, you say ball carrier. That's exactly what... Uh, what he brought to this team, it, the ability to range from one end to the other, uh, both both in terms of hol- uh, holding the ball, keeping possession, um, releasing some pressure, being uh, you know being dangerous, obviously grabbing attention uh, from from opposing defenders, but also defensively. I mean, uh, what what we're seeing this morning is a lot of praise for what Darlington Nagby did defensively yesterday, rather than necessarily something on the attacking end. Exactly, I think he showed a, a different side to his game and. The great thing with, with that Portland side is it has a lot of pace. I mean, you look at Dyron Espria. I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Portland front office wasn't a little bit inspired by Fabian Castillo when they put Espria in because I can see lots of similarities in the way they play. And it's more than just the fact they both have this kind of weird mohawk haircut. Um, I, I think that team in general, it works very well. Even the fact that, that Lucas Milano could come on and contribute after a fairly mediocre season, I would say, with the Timbers. It bodes well for next week. It's, it's trying to find that weakness with the Timbers right now. It's, it's really difficult to, to see something because at the back you've got Nat Borchers and, and Ridgewell, who I imagine will return as this kind of solid defensive unit. Midfield works effortlessly. Even Fernando Adi up top is, is giving them exactly what they need. Personally, the only weakness I even see, and I think it, it came to the fore during the series, was in behind the fullbacks. You've got Ryan Hollingshead's goal in the second leg, which came via that space in behind the fullback, albeit it was Asprey that should have been marking someone. And in the first, in the first leg, Dallas's goal comes from a, a pass in behind that fullback. So that's that's where I kind of maybe see a little bit of frailty for them. But again, it's it's one small mark on, on what is a beautiful team. <laughs> it's a question though of as we look ahead, and we'll, we'll come to the Eastern Conference here, but but very briefly since we are talking about the Timbers and whether or not they're susceptible to that type of ball, you, you need someone for the on the other side who's going to pick out that pass and. Uh, you know, as much as I like uh, Federico Iguain, I don't think he's quite the the, cre- uh, the creator that, that Moro Diaz is. No, he's not. But but I think in many ways that's where it poses this really interesting battle in MLS Cup final. You, you've got a team that's very wing centric in its approach in Columbus. They're going to ferry the ball down the flanks with Ethan Finley and Justin Miram potentially even Cedric if he comes into the fray. So they're going to want to play it that way. Now, traditionally, they, they give the ball to the winger and he tries to run at them. Is it going to be a case of uh, Greg Berhold to sit down with, with Will Trapp this week and says, look, I need you to start finding space in behind. I need you to start playing maybe a bit more of an aggressive ball, a bit more of a long-distance pass than you're used to. Maybe sometimes even bypass Federico Higuain. It, it changes the way they play slightly because actually I think they benefit more from giving it to the winger and throwing those crosses in for, for Kai to try and hit on a, a header or an aerial duel. It's, it's an option they've got, though, and I think going into this kind of game, the more options you've got, the better you're going to fare in terms of trying to beat that opponent. Uh, when we look at, well, let's, let's come to the Eastern Conference. We'll talk about that game before we talk about uh, uh, sort of the matchup in MLS Cup Final. All right, so the Columbus crew... Uh, on the road in New York um, with a two nothing lead, <clears throat> this is what, what's what's remarkable about what the crew have done. What Crew SC has done, uh, Kristen, is that they were they were they were so poor defensively that you weren't sure they could balance out that attack, that wing centric attack, as you mentioned, which was so effective and was so dangerous. They scored 
Um, you know, they only, they scored the second most goals in the league behind the Red Bulls. The question was whether they could balance out um, defensively, and in the end, they all, they ultimately became a very good defensive side in these playoffs. And, and I think it's a, it's a surprise to some people. It is. It really is. I think you know. You look at the first leg; they stop a a twenty five game streak that the Red Bulls have scored in during that two 0 victory, and I really liked the way that the defensive partnership worked for the crew in the second leg. You have Gaston Sauer and Michael Parkers who I think played Bradley Wright Phillips expertly. When he got the ball into feet, they were really aggressive. They went in tough. And, and having seen Sauro in Europe, that's something he loves to do. He loves to be kind of that one-on-one, let's-get-physical type of defender. Equally, when it was put out wide to the likes of Greller and Sam, personally, I didn't feel New York Red Bulls got enough out of those two guys in terms of production and delivery. But in the rare occasion that they kind of did manage to, to throw a cross in there, Again, nothing really came of that. I think it was eight out of the 11 open play crosses that the Red Bulls attempted ended up in failure. So you have to really commend the defense on that one because they've also been able to, to change with the loss of Sauer in the first leg and, and things like that. That adaptability is amazing. And, and equally, on the night where we see the, the MLS Best 11 announced and there's no fullbacks in the back line, I thought it was quite harsh on Columbus. I think Columbus's fullbacks have been great during the series and, and arguably for good portions of the season, at least enough for, for one of them maybe to, to sneak into that best 11. Yeah, certainly there's a, a, a problem with the way the best 11 is laid out, uh, Kristen, because it, it, de- it definitely penalizes fullbacks as, team, as, as voters try to squeeze as many uh, midfielders into their uh, best 11 as they possibly can. And, and, and I think there's three forwards in that team as well. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when you, when you don't value defenses highly, and again, defensive positions, because what, what Columbus has done with those defensive positions is turned them into attacking players. I, I mean, I don't know that we're calling them wingbacks because it's still a, it's still a four man back line, but it is, it is essentially that in the, in the, uh, the amount of, um, uh, ground they cover up and down those flanks. All right, so when you look ahead, and again, Columbus has the advantage of it being at home, um, but despite the fact both these teams uh, earned 53 points over the course of the season, I think Columbus has the tiebreaker due to goal difference. And then, um, so, so that's on the table. I, I think what, what sticks out for me is just as I'm thinking through this, uh, Christian, and I, I haven't had a whole lot of time to process it, is you have two pretty, um, pretty irresistible number nines in this game. I wonder if it's going to come down to which pair of center backs can deal with that number nine the, the best. I, I think it is. I, I think you look at their seasons, how, how much they've kind of been defined by the, the form of that number nine or that striker in terms of, you know, Kamara has been huge for, for the crew and more recently for the Timbers during the playoffs. I think Fernando Ali has been huge for them. It's just about maybe how they get that service to them. If there's one thing you can say about Kai Kamara, and he has had a sensational season, it's that really you need to be getting crosses into him, I think. You need to be getting the ball into him and inside the penalty box. I don't think he's someone right now that picks the ball up 25 yards out and beats a defender, maybe beats it in that Borges or Liam Ridgewell in a straight race and then puts it in. It needs to be in that penalty box. So if you can, as a Timbers kind of team, if you can stop that supply line, then you're going to have a good job in terms of stopping Kai Kamara doing much. The difficulty is, is that actually, when you do put a good cross in there, I don't think there's really anyone that can match him in the air. He's, I think his vertical jump is something ridiculous, like 61 inches, Thomas Rongan was saying yesterday. That's huge. I, I, I'm a big fan of, of Borches and Ridgewell, and between them, they've got masses of experience. I think last night, Borches, no one had more playoff experience on that field than him. So, again, you, you've got a lot of positives on the defensive end, for Portland in terms of this game and, and trying to keep that crew team out. 
just whether essentially they can nullify any potential physical matchups with with Kai Kamara. That's that for me is like what will define who wins and loses that that's, uh, that game next week. Yeah, and and it it, it remains. To, I mean, it, it, we we have we wait to see. I'm not sure who the the man in the middle will be. Uh, Christian, but it, it, we wait to see exactly how that game will be officiated as well, because it, you know there were there were certainly seemed to be a lot of physical play happening that was sort of let go in, in the Red Bulls Columbus game. Uh, uh, you know, I understand in this situation the question of whether or not you want to change the game, and especially in a final now, as the stakes even rise a little bit higher. We had the the issue with with two yellow cards meaning a suspension. Uh, previous to this game, that that's sort of out the window. That that doesn't matter as much. But there is going to be a question of whether or not you know uh, Borchers and Ridgewell can battle with Kamara. And on the other end, whether or not uh, you know a guy like Soro is going to be able to do what he does against Fernando Adi without being penalized to the point where he has to change his game. If if, if Gaston Soro is on a yellow card in the first ten minutes, that's a massive advantage for the Portland Timbers. It is, exactly. And, and the other thing I think we'll have to look at is how are those crew fullbacks when they're going backwards in that sense. Um, what, uh, we've seen them able to attack. We've seen them able to push forward. I know um, some people have raised issues with Ethan Finley's defensive contributions as well. Those are things that we're going to have to watch. I, I really think this game could be won and lost down, down the flanks, personally. As brilliant as... Um, the midfields and the central areas are for both teams. I, personally, I really like Will Trapp. I think he's a beautiful midfielder to, to watch play. He's so composed on the ball. It's excellent to watch. And equally, you've then got Tony Charney, I think, in there as well, who's this big physical presence. How does Chara deal with him? Because as, as good as Chara is, he's also not a huge physical presence, I don't think. Um, so it, it's those kind of little battles that will, will define things. And, and as you say, the referee has to come into things. How does he kind of manage the situation because the Red Bulls crew game was quite feisty. There was little, you know, head clashes and things with, with Grella and Charney. It did kind of descend a little bit. And you saw maybe just a little window into how the crew handled things. I, I personally wasn't too impressed with Kamara shouting at Charney. I didn't think that helped the situation. Yeah. These are all small little things that we're, we're going to see kind of play out next week in terms of deciding who wins this game. Yeah, you know, uh, Tony Charney... Um, in retrospect, probably lucky to be on the field at the end of that match and lucky to be available for the MLS Cup final considering, um, you know, I, it wasn't an egregious headbutt. It wasn't one of the more violent ones I've seen. It certainly wasn't Zinedine Zidane, but you can't do that. And as you said, maybe Kamara handling that situation in, 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 a, in a manner that does not befit his leadership of that team. So now you have a question of composure overall. Which one of these two teams? Because... As you said, you know, for the, for Portland, they have somebody like Nat Borchers. He's going to settle them. He's going to be uh, a veteran influence with the experience uh, to to guide them through. They they have you know they certainly have experienced players in that team, even if they have, don't have MLS Cup final experience. And on the other side, you know, a guy like Michael Michael Parkhurst is going to be huge, especially with those two young midfielders in front of him, especially with those wing players who are going to have you know big eyes in this game, Christian. Exactly, I, I think. In the case of Borchers, you know, it's interesting to, to see him, you know, he's 34, I think. I remember Caleb Porter, he was talking to, to Grant Wall and he, he said the reason he got Borchers in was because essentially he wanted a defender's defender. And I think it, it's interesting to hear a manager say that because actually in the modern game, maybe we look at defenders to be ball players, to, to initiate attacks, be kind of the foundation for that. And particularly Porter, someone who was so kind of, focused on his style when he came into this league about being possession-based and being these kind of things. 
to see him kind of want that revision in terms of his defender and want someone who was maybe a step back on the, the path of what we expect from our centre-back, it was interesting. And then, I think it's the 92nd minute against Dallas, he comes up with a huge block to keep them kind of safe in, in terms of going into the next round. And it, it kind of clicks and you think, yeah, I completely see why you wanted that defender. You wanted someone that would essentially throw himself in front of the ball at every given opportunity, and he does that. And he also has immense leadership and, and experience in, in this league. We talked about the, the playoff experience before. I just like the way he organises the team. I've kind of watched him a few times now, and he's so vocal. And I think that as a trait is, is somewhat underrated in defenders. Someone who lets his teammates know where they are, where he is, where they need to be, all that kind of thing, just shuffling pieces around. It just helps things move a lot quicker. And, and I think that's part of the reason that we've seen this Timbers side really excel, kind of, I would almost argue from that game against LA where they win 5-2. That, for me, is the, the real kind of acceleration point for them in this season. And I think it's it's brilliant to watch. They, the, the, they very much like Columbus found a way to balance their aggressive um, attacking philosophy with, with a little bit more defensive stability. Uh, and, and that's the growth of Chani and, 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 and Trap playing together. It's the, obviously the experience of Parkhurst. They got good contributions out of, out of wall, wall in this playoff run. Um, Portland's, Portland's ability to balance themselves out has been remarkable as well. And it's, maybe that's just, what's interesting is I think that while Columbus, it's been a, I think a, a team focus. This is how they play. They go forward like this. This is what Francis does. This is what Affle does. They have to cover, they have to find a way to cover those spaces or, or limit the number of chances created through those spaces, um, for their opponents. It's been a team focus. In Portland, I think it's been a coach focus because, because as you said, because Caleb Porter was so, philosophically rigid when he entered the league this idea that he was going to play um you know his own version of tiki taka in mls and has changed we, we we sort of see him as the embodiment of that of that portland james him and nagby perhaps christian mm, i think if you look at the two coaches with, with porter i think we've seen an evolution as you touched on there he wanted to play tiki taka he's now accepted he has to be more flexible there are different ways to win i think he, he what went to watch Jose Mourinho and that kind of inspired him. I remember him saying with Greg Berhalter, I think it's more of a progression in the sense that he's always had his idea and it's, it's just become clearer and it's become more ingrained in the team as they've moved into this second season. I think as well, they've been very astute in the market. The fact that they've been able to get the likes of, of Michael Parkhurst, I think to a degree, Sauro in there. Again, whoever decided that, that Kai Kamara would have this kind of season on the, the crew scouting department deserves a huge raise because personally I didn't see this, this season coming for him at all. But they've also played to, to him in a way that works. They've realised that they had good wingers, that they could put good service in. So in many ways, while the coaches on the surface may seem similar, they're young, they're American, you know, they have a lot of the same boxes ticked. Actually, I think their narratives are quite different in that sense. And, in in many ways, it, it, it paints an interesting picture because Porter, on the one hand, again, has come through that, that evolution, has come through that change, if you will, in terms of his style, and it makes him more versatile. I'm curious to see how versatile Berhalter and the crew are because actually, I think their style is, is I don't want to say one-dimensional, but I think it's it's very focused and getting them to play outside of that. I'm not sure how much we've actually seen them do that this season. So mm. if it gets to the point where maybe they need to switch it up in the final, 
I'm a lot more confident in the Timbers being able to do that than I am the crew, and, and that could be kind of their downfall, unfortunately. You know, we're rightly focused on the winners here, on the on the teams that have qualified for the MLS Cup final. It should be a fun one. I'm going to leave the big market uh, MLS big picture stuff aside for now. Maybe we'll come to that in the next couple of days leading up to the game. But let's let's talk about the losers here because these were the first place teams in each conference, respectively, in New York and FC Dallas. Both of them had wonderful uh, regular seasons. Both of them did things that maybe we didn't expect. Certainly the Red Bulls transitioning from the Terry Henry era into this era, firing Mike Pecky, Jesse Marsh, and the job he did. All of these things coming together was was fantastic there um, in New Jersey. Uh, and, and yet they trip over the final hurdle again, uh, Christian. And, and, and I think for as, as, as good as Red Bull fans have felt in 2015, they have to be again, just crushed by the fact this team cannot figure out how to, to tick that last box. The curse of Caracolla is alive and well, it seems. Um, I, I really did feel for the Red Bulls because I, they're one of the roster I've, I've kind of been a little bit closer to because I've been able to speak to a few of the players. And, and again, it, it's been a beautiful thing to watch. And In many ways, I hope that the season and the perception of that isn't changed and there isn't immense revisionism just because they didn't make MLS Cup. I think they achieved huge amounts. When you consider how the year started for them with the town hall meeting, with the you know, the the bellows of answer the question to Ali Curse, to, to come out with a supporter shield, I think to to define their style so quickly and have so many of the players fit into that is brilliant. Where I think maybe in the off season they need to, to make some moves is I think they need some kind of diversity in attack. I think they need some options there because for me they they're a little bit too reliant on Bradley Wright Phillips and he is a very good striker. I also think there are some defences like the Cruz, which is, is big and physical, that he's not going to thrive against. And given they've got that one DP spot left, I'd be tempted to, to see what you can get with that. Now, equally, they have to assess Gonzalo Veron. It's been a difficult season for the guy, but equally, he's coming at a point that wasn't great for him. It's very difficult, I think, to, to make that transition at that point in the season. And I imagine they've, they've still got some things they want to work out with him. They also had a... Uh, winger at fullback in Salvezo for a good portion of the season. Yeah. Those are little things that you can kind of evaluate in the off-season and decide, okay, how do we move forward with this? Do we have the cap space to do it? Maybe there's someone in, in New York Red Bulls too that we can bring in because, again, they've had a, a good season in terms of beating Chelsea, putting forth some good young guys. How do you improve in that sense? Maybe Felipe is someone I think that, that could be up for the chop equally because I just haven't been that impressed with him during this series. I think there's a lot to build on, though. And if you you almost have to go back to look forward in that sense, in, in terms of analyse at the start of the year how you thought things were going to go. And, and to be truthful, I thought they were going to go quite poorly. I, I didn't hold the highest hope for the New York Red Bulls. Now they've got this thing to build from, this platform of a, of a good midfield, a fairly solid defence, a brilliant goalkeeper, let me just say as well, and absolutely brilliant. It's criminal that, that Luis Robles ne- nearly left the professional game. Build on that in the off-season. Look where you need to improve. And in theory, you'll be back in those playoffs again with a, another chance yeah. to do it. Yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly the core there. Um, Sasha Kleschen, not very good yesterday. That's something people were certainly focused on, although you expect him to be back. Um, there was There is some confusion, and I need to go find some clarification on this, on whether or not Dax McCarty uh is signed up for another year if he's uh he's got a a contract situation that needs to be settled i ha- i i can't I, I haven't i saw some some back and forth yesterday from uh from my friend dan dickinson who who seemed confused i'll have to find out uh which is true uh, let's switch over to fc dallas 
So the, the, while the perception of the Red Bulls was we don't know what to expect of, the, uh, of them at all, in part because of the changing roster, the changing coach, the end of, a, of one era and the move into, a next, into the next, FC Dallas was always the, the, you know, they were a bundle of potential, uh, Grayson. They were a team that we saw a lot of talent in, but didn't know if they could bring it all together, um, you know, and, and put together the type of consistent enough performance that we would find them standing there at the end. Now, they, they fall at the conference final level, and that's, I, I don't think that that's any shade at all on their season or on the job that Oscar Vareja has done. Because I feel, I think that some people believe that they actually arrived a little bit early. The question for me now is whether they can keep these guys to make another run at it. Because Fabian Castillo has a lot of attention. Moro Diaz has some attention. There's a good chance that we're going to see a different FC Dallas team next year. Exactly. That is the unfortunate problem. That that when you produce this brilliance, there's a chance you're going to get picked off. And, you know, we we hear that Fabian Castillo is drawing interest from, from Club America in Mexico. I know there's European eyes on him as well from, from France and the Premier League. Equally, Diaz is another one that maybe is going to go. It's very different. I think if you're looking for a positive, it's that they've still got Jesse Gonzalez, they've still got Walker Zimmerman. There's young players in there. Equally, I think the academy has some, some good guys coming through. I'm seeing a lot of kind of good um, pieces on, on them and what their future holds. If they can keep them for another year, and that's a, a very big if, it's a great foundation to build from because equally the the arrival of Gonzalez means they can kind of ship out one of those reserve goalkeepers, Sides or Kennedy, for some for some decent wage. They'll get some decent kind of value for that, getting rid of one of those guys. I think for them that the big thing in the off season is getting a forward, getting a real high quality forward. I mean, Blas Perez, I think, will likely go. He's, he's obviously kind of in the veteran stages of his career. I don't believe David Tixera is is reliable enough for them, and and we saw that in in the series against Portland. Portland had. Fernando Adi, Teixeira didn't match up, unfortunately, and missed kind of one of his big chances in that second leg. And, and for me, I know the Dallas have got that DP spot available if they need it. I'd use it and find a really good striker. Now, again, that's very easy for me to say, go sure. and find a good striker. Yeah. Yeah. I think if they can find someone similar to the mold of Perez, maybe not as old, maybe a little bit younger, a bit more quick across the ground, but someone that can bring others into play, can, can operate as that figurehead at the top and, and just link everything from, from back to front. I think you'll see a lot more success with Dallas. It's, yeah, it w- it's simply a case of, of just keeping that, that young core, though. That's, the, that's exactly, I mean, you, you said, easier said, easy for you to say. The, the high-quality center-forward target man who can uh, who, who can bring midfielders in, can, can pass the ball as well as he can you know, go up and, and win the ball in the air, uh, and bring the ball down with his hold-up play is is at a premium in the world, not just in MLS, Christian. So where they go and how much they're willing to spend may determine exactly what we see out of FC Dallas next year. And, and I, I suppose you could conceive of you know selling a Fabian Castillo and then using some of those um, uh, you know some of, some of that money and going out and buying your center forward. But then what if you lost if you're if you're trying to replace a Fabian Castillo? And I imagine they would try to do that in house. And while they are a, a fantastic story of what can be achieved if you invest in your academy at the MLS level, this is, by, this is far from a mature kind of uh, program that's going to consistently deliver them senior players who are going to be effective at that level. Exactly. That is kind of the problem. Is, is that in this youth, and this was the, the discussion for Dallas the entire season, was do those kids fade under the bright light? It's, it's it's very different. I feel harsh to say they did because I think actually they were just 
outplayed by a better team. I don't think age had anything to do with it, and I think it's almost a little bit myopic and patronising to say that that was the case. The academy has been so great for them, and, and Oscar Pereira has, has been involved in that heavily. <clears throat> I'd be tempted to keep relying on that personally. As, as you say, it's difficult to find that striker with the, the pedigree and all that kind of stuff. I also think be optimistic and say that if the Timbers were able to find Ali via FC Copenhagen, then surely enough, Dallas can do it as well. Maybe it means going to, to South America, a region that, that Pereira knows well and trying to find someone there. Mm-hmm. The good thing is you've got a few months to do this. This is not something that you have to confirm in the next week. You know, it, it could be someone random like Mike Havanagh, the Dutch-Japanese striker who's quite tall and quite uh, physical. There are options out there. Um, I think maybe you need to upgrade the veteran options as well. I think the likes of Mikhail and, and people like that maybe need to move out and you need to get someone in that's a little bit younger on the cusp who, again, can bring on the young players because as much as we talk about the likes of Castillo and Diaz and, and the brilliant things they're doing, a lot of that success has been because of what they've learned from those around them, Pereja, and also on the, the playing side as well. So it's it's just a little bit of a tweak. I think the fewer changes Dallas can make in many ways, the better they will be next season. Yeah, you know, so much. Um, it, it, it's difficult to know how how much Dallas was affected by some of the off the field things as they went about this uh, playoff run. Obviously, the death of Oscar Breja's mother probably weighed heavy on him, and 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 that's difficult for a young team not to pick up on those elements from their head coach. I'm sure he was as professional as he possibly could be, Christian. But I don't think it. I think it's important to sort of mention that in the middle of trying to. To, to grab a, a young team by the scruff of the neck and, and drag them along to uh, to a championship, Oscar Brea had to deal with something very personally uh, tragic. Of course, and, and you know my condolences go out to him because he's a, a wonderful person, and, and that is no matter what what stage of life it happens at, it's, it's a terrible thing to, to lose a mother. And I would hope maybe to try and if you can even take something from it is that maybe it brought the group a little bit closer together. And it, it saw them rally around because, again, you talk to, to Fabian Castillo about Oscar and, and he really does eulogize about the man. He clearly appreciates the, the influence he had on him because, by his own admission, he didn't want to go to Dallas at first. He really didn't. And I think it was Oscar's kind of friendliness and uh, good nature that really helped him settle in, in Texas and make him into the player that he is today. And, yeah. and for me, I don't think that's an isolated incident. I think that's very much a, an anecdote that could be spread to a a number of different players in that Dallas squad. So there will be an appreciation of him, period. I think that will only kind of increase during that difficult situation. And and I would imagine that the whole squad, the whole organization, because they are a very tight-knit organization down there, will have rallied around him and, and really kind of uh, tried to make things as easy as, as conceivably possible for a man going through something very difficult. Very fascinating story, FC Dallas. Uh, again, the investment in their academy, at least the return they're getting on that investment, very remarkable. This is not a, a team with a, a reputation for being um, ambitious um, over the course of the last decade or so. Um, they've managed to turn themselves into a club that does look ambitious, again, in part because of the, the talent that they brought through that system and some of the young players that they've plucked out of the college system as well, and they have the right coach. They have a, a coach who embodies that whole uh, mindset. They, they obviously uh, you know grabbed him away from Colorado. He wanted to go. That's how quickly things can change in MLS, and it just goes to show you that while we're talking about what, what the Red Bulls and what FC Dallas might be doing next year and imagine that they could be back at this level, we may have somebody new in, in this picture, Christian, that we're not expecting at all. 
Exactly. And maybe the one name that kind of jumps out to me is Alex Indeas, who is someone I've seen sporadically, albeit via highlight clips. I really like what I have seen in those brief moments. And I also like kind of what I'm hearing by the people who, who watch those youngsters on a, a more consistent basis. He's a US U17 international, so he's, he's clearly doing something right. And I think, again, that's what's brilliant about this FC Dallas. I remember doing a story this season about the, the Funis Mori brothers and talking to Oscar about how he really wanted to keep both of them, but they just didn't have the infrastructure that thankfully they now do have. So there's potential for, for a better quality of young player to come through in the next few years as, as they get to have this infrastructure more and, and get to use it more. So I would think if, if I'm a Dallas fan, I've actually got a lot to be pleased about because I think they as a team have achieved a lot away from the field. And I think in time, you'll start to see more of a benefit of on the field as it transitions over. Christian Hennage joining us on Soccer Morning, talking about the MLS Cup playoffs. We didn't get to any Premier League. I, I just sort of lost track of time. We're talking about the, <laughs> and I can't keep you for for any longer, Christian. I feel like I've already, uh, I've already taken too much of your time. So maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll talk to you later in the week about the Premier League, or maybe not. Maybe we'll come back next week and catch up on what happens um, as that season rolls along. We get closer to the festive period, and things get very very tight. Uh, in England, Christian, I, I thank you so much. I mean, again, I, I, I just blanked on the Premier League. Anybody who was looking forward to that, I apologize. We will grab Christian for that uh, later on. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. So was a pleasure. There goes, uh, there goes Christian. I, I really not. I completely blanked on the Premier League. I don't know why. I just did. There are a lot of things that happened. But the, the MLS Cup playoffs, we got a final now. It, it's a big thing. Take a break. Open up the phone lines. Talk to you. Soccer morning on a Monday. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we're back on the Monday edition of Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Phone lines are now open, 646-832-3909. Now is the time to hit the send button or the call button or whatever green picture of a phone is on your phone so you can call me and talk to me about whatever is on your soccer mind, whatever's in your soccer brain on your Soccer Monday. Whether it is the MLS Cup playoffs and uh, the, the the second leg of the conference finals, both of those teams from the first leg brought those advantages into the second leg against higher seeds, made them stand up. For Columbus, it was the, it was a defensive show. It was all about keeping New York off the board in the second leg. They kept they pitched a clean sheet in that first leg. They went into the second leg with that advantage, and they spent ninety plus minutes making sure New York had, couldn't score. New York finally did score, and what a crazy end of that match! First of all, I think we had, I think we had offside on the, on the Abong goal, right? I think we had offside. Bradley Wright Phillips was probably offside when that first goal went in. Then Bradley Wright Phillips gets his head to a ball that hits off the post, and I'm pretty sure he was offside there too. I'm pretty sure he was offside. But that's, but there was no flag on that, on that sequence, and if the ball had gone in, I imagine they would have given the goal. We would have had Bedlam. At uh, Red Bull Arena. I mean, certainly some people had left. 
certainly some people had departed the stadium in light of the very big hill the Red Bulls had to climb to get themselves back into that Eastern Conference final. And shame on you. I mean, shame on you. I know the traffic is bad. I know the path station is is hell on earth. I, I know. I know. I saw Andrew Doss from the New York Times tweeting that it took him an hour and a half to get from Harrison to Manhattan. Okay. Or wherever. I, maybe it wasn't Manhattan. Uh, whatever. Wherever he lives, it was across, back across the river into New York. And he said, no wonder people don't go. And Okay. I, and Sunday night, you got your kids out there maybe. Or even if it's just you, you really have no excuse. If it's just you, you definitely have no excuse. If you have a kid. I'm trying to put myself in that position. Okay. So I'm a fan of the team. It's Sunday. It's the second leg of a conference final. If my team can figure out a way to win, score a couple of goals, we're going to MLS Cup. In fact, we're hosting MLS Cup. If we win, we host MLS Cup. These are the things I know. First, do I go to the game? Do I choose to go to the game? That's the first hurdle, right? That's the first thing to get over. Do I go? Ugh. How much are tickets? Do I have tickets? Are, if I'm a season ticket holder, I think it's, it answers the question answers itself. You go. All right, now I'm going. Okay, now, now do I take my kid? I'm a, I'm a guy with a kid. It would be a great experience for him. He's into soccer. The crowd's going to be great. Okay, maybe there might be some cursing, but whatever. It's a, it's a sporting event. You put it in the right context for him, he can handle it. Do I take my kid? Second choice. I mean, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing, right? I mean, maybe it's maybe it comes back around again. Maybe there's a big playoff game for my team again. Maybe they have a chance to to win and host MLS Cup again. But I don't know when that's going to happen. I take my kid. Okay, now it's me and my kid, and we're going to the game. And yeah, it's tough. And 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 look, I, I, a lot of a lot of uh, criticism of the number of empty seats there at Red Bull Arena yesterday, and that tends to happen. Red Bull Arena, even with an announced sellout, tends to have some issues. I'm pretty sure that that based on what happened in Paris. Based on what happened at the Stade de France, based on what happened in Germany and Belgium and a couple, of, a couple other places, we are going to, as a sporting culture, as a sporting fan base around the world, soccer especially, are going to have to deal with, with insane security measures to make sure our games are safe, and that's going to impact the number of people in the building when kickoff starts. In fact, I saw how many pictures of lines for security did you see around the world today, not just... Not just in New York, where I'm sure it was especially tough, but also in Dallas, in Frisco. There was a long line for security there that kept people from getting into the stadium. So and it's not an excuse for them not having a full house like they said was going to be there, but it is certainly something to consider when we look at those pictures. From the, I, I'm, If I'm sitting at home, I find it weird to be cr- criticizing this, that, that anyway. I mean, especially if you are anywhere near able to go. What? How is that okay for us to sit and bash another team's fan base when we don't really know the situation on the ground? I don't know. Very strange. Let's go to Joseph in D.C. What's up, Joseph? How you doing, man? Um, I am a crew supporter uh, out here in D.C. Uh, and I have a. It just really irks me about the kind of TV schedule of this past year. Uh, the crew had the least amount of nationally televised games, one on each network, or a total of three throughout the entire year. Uh-huh. And we're looking at 
getting close to, what, five nationally televised games just in the postseason. So my question is, what impact does our run to the MLS Cup have on next year's nationally televised games? If you can't see me right now, I'm holding up a, a zero. I'm holding up a zero. Okay. Uh, but look, I, I, this is the sad reality. And go look if you want to hear people upset about the TV schedule and national televised games, despite some pretty big success and, and some 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 remarkable exposure in terms of the soccer they play. Go talk to the people out in Salt Lake City, and they'll tell you yeah. that 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 success and making the playoffs and making a run and playing good soccer has zero to do with how many times you show up on national television. And, and that's oh, that's just where soccer is in America, and is where MLS is. And this is why. And look, I, 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 from a soccer fan perspective, this is a great matchup. From my perspective mm-hmm. as an MLS guy, this is a fun matchup. I'm excited to see what the Timbers bring and what Columbus. And it's going to be. I'm sure they're going to get you know close to twenty three thousand or whatever. They're going to fill up that building. I'm already seeing, seeing tweets about ticket prices in the secondary market in Columbus. I'm sure it's going to be great. Okay, mm-hmm. but. The reason I ask about whether or not Portland and, and Columbus is good for MLS, and I mean that in the in the marketing sense, not the soccer sense, is because right, of the business, the, yeah the business side of this. These are not big markets. These are not these are not teams that have any sort of sexy cachet for the casual fan. For us soccer fans, we know. Oh wow, Columbus plays some really cool soccer. They really they do some really great stuff. They are fun. That's a fun team. Portland's got all this mm-hmm. great talent. They can go up and down the field and speed, speed, speed. But, I mean, ask the average sports fan what the Portland Timbers do or what, what Columbus Crew do, and they have no idea. And that means they're not flipping over to see. I mean, that's a sad reality, but it is a reality. But if that's what breeds success in MLS, you know, dedication to a certain style of play and, and that, at what point will the rest of the league turned towards that instead of big-name retired DPs from Europe. Well, I mean, it's all in the eye of the beholder. Um, look, at the play- mm-hmm. look at the playoff field in 2015. Okay, I, I suppose you could argue, and I guess you would argue this, that Montreal was a team that basically rode a big-name player down the stretch and into the playoffs. Yep. A guy who, um, who they signed late in his career, et cetera, et cetera. And, and stylistically, Montreal was never really committed to anything, especially since they changed head coaches. Uh, in the last month of the season. But the Red Bulls, uh, the Revs, I would put them in that group. Maybe not Toronto FC uh, because they have Javinko and they rode him and, and they signed up Bradley and, and Altador. But certainly the, everybody else that made the playoffs, besides Toronto and, uh, and, and Montreal, seemed to know who they were and what they were trying to do. That doesn't mean it's always great. DC United plays some ugly-ass soccer. I mean, let's be honest about that. <laughs> They play some ugly, but they were committed to their ugly soccer. They were committed to Benny Ball or whatever they want to call it. And out west, yeah. Dallas, Portland, Vancouver, Sporting is definitely a team that revolves entirely around their philosophy. L.A. has a philosophy that they are very committed to. Even even Seattle, with those big-name players, still has a, a, a philosophy, still knows what they want to do and is committed to it. So I, I don't... I don't think we're in a we're in a situation now in MLS 3.0 where we have teams that are just all about the the that that big name player and playing you know playing what we've got now is a more flexible league. Let's say it that way. Okay, okay. Uh, one last question before I go. Um, where's Precky? I don't know. I want to know where's Precky. Somebody tell me where's because Pre- he we found him. I'm sorry, Grant Wall found him. Thank you, Grant Wall. But now we've—I feel—I yes. feel like we've lost him again. I feel like we had Precky, 
And we like like you know your, your dog gets out of its backyard, right, Joseph? And you're and it gets out of the backyard, and you gotta go find it. You're, 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 I remember doing this as, as a kid a lot. Having to get in the car with mom, and she's like cruising through the neighborhood at, like five miles an hour, looking for. Is he over there? Uh, oh, there he is. Okay, go get the dog. We go. We, okay, come here. Come on. Come on, boy. Let's go back. You get him into the backyard. You, you go in the house. Okay, that's fine. It's done. And then uh, you know, half an hour later, where's the dog? Oh, the dog got out again. Like I feel like that's precky right now. Yeah, I feel like it's a, just a Where's Waldo book. Every time I turn a page, it's like nobody has any idea where the hell he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the uh, where, where's the uh, like the picture? Where's the crowd shots of every English game so that maybe we can find Precky? Is he in the? Is he in there somewhere? Where's that? Where's that Serbian scowl? Where is he? Oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I appreciate the call, man. All right, take care, man. Right, Six four six eight three two thirty nine zero nine. Good stuff from Joseph. And, and, and look, right to be frustrated on some level about the exposure for his team. The exposure for the Columbus crew. The exposure, I mean, the Timbers, and, and, and this, this speaks to it as, this speaks to where we are as well, right? That the Timbers, a good team. They deserve to be in MLS Cup final. They have, uh, some, some fantastic players. They have speed. They have attacking ability. They have Fernando Adia up top. We all about, we know all about Donington Nagby and Rodney Wallace. And, and Diego Valeri and and, and Dairon Espria when he what he's done in these playoffs these are all fun things that add to the attractiveness of the Portland Timbers. But why why do the Portland Timbers get national te- nationally televised games, especially at Providence Park? Why? Everybody want to take a guess? I think you know, and it's not necessarily what's happening on the field. It's not necessarily those eleven players that Caleb Porter runs out. It's not their commitment to a philosophy. It's not the the number of goals they score or how they go about scoring those goals. It's about the fans. It's about the atmosphere at Providence Park and how remarkable that is um, in the American context, in the North American context. That's why Portland gets nationally televised games. And and hopefully Timbers fans recognize that. Hopefully MLS fans, I mean, I don't know that you have to make peace with this. Um, clearly television executives, clearly the people making the schedule, clearly, and hopefully there's some soccer people involved in these decisions. I think there are. I don't know how many. I don't know if it's ultimately their choice or not. But hope, but, but those people are clearly not to the point where they trust the soccer. The people picking the games for, for Fox and ESPN, they don't trust the soccer to sell the soccer they they don't they don't think that the level of play in MLS or the style of play in MLS or the way that that team plays or that team plays is good enough to sell the game on television to grab anything sort uh, any any type of rating they 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 want the atmosphere they want the big markets seattle's going to get games because there's 40,000 people in the stands and they are loud Portland's going to get games because they are singing and their culture is fantastic. You're going to get games in L.A. because it's the L.A. Galaxy and they are a big market and they have big names. You're going to get New York because it's New York. You might get, I don't know. I mean, who else Who else even stands out on that level? Everybody else is kind of like, well, they might play some nice soccer, but are we really interested in what's happening there? Alexi Lawless on Twitter. Does it matter to MLS fans how their team wins? It's a good question. I'll uh, let me ask DC United fans because I I didn't insult your team, but I definitely identified that their style was not particularly attractive. 
Do you care at all how your team wins? I think we are evolving into a soccer culture that starts is starting to value those things while also being cognizant of the fact that ultimately this is MLS. It will punish you. I don't think Portland Timber fans care a lick that Port- like Caleb Porter has changed his philosophy or become more flexible or look to be more pragmatic because their team is in an MLS Cup final now because of those changes in his personal philosophy. If this was the Premier League or some other uh, European competition where only a handful of teams really had a chance to win a title, then I think that the style of play matters as long as you're not being threatened with relegation, right? This is, I'm not, again, I'm not making, I'm not making a judgment to between which is better. I'm just, I'm pointing out the differences here. The Portland Timbers can change their philosophy, become more direct and more pragmatic, and that effectively, that makes them more effective and gives them a chance to win an MLS Cup. But if you're Crystal Palace, Sunderland, Stoke, I remember vividly the transformation at Stoke from the fans, the, the, the Tony Pulis era, the, the Stoke, I mean, Stoke being the embodiment of ugly, dour, hideous, direct English football. Remember that? Remember how, how painful it was to watch Stoke try to just smother a game? For a casual fan, it was disgusting. For a Stoke fan, it was about getting points and staying up. But eventually, that got old. Eventually, that became harder and harder to swallow. Eventually, being the butt of the joke made it to the point where the Stoke fans no longer wanted that kind of soccer. They wanted to see some better soccer. And you know what? It didn't matter. It ultimately didn't matter to whether or not they were going to win because they're not going to win anything. Stoke City is not going to win a Premier League title, no matter what kind of style they play. So it, it it's it's about we might as well be entertained finishing in thirteenth, right? You might as well be entertained a little bit finishing in the bottom half of the table, but above, above the relegation zone. Because then once once the relegation threat happens, now we're playing the most direct, ugly soccer we possibly can just to find a way to scrape out points. Couple of things on Twitter here. Will MLS Cup, the event or the win, motivate crew, the crew to start a push for newer, better, bigger, better located stadium? Uh, I don't know. We, we could check in with some people in Columbus. Uh, we lost our man on the beat. Who's the new man on the beat? We need to find the guy who's at the, the on the dispatch beat because uh, Adam Jardy moved over to Ohio State basketball. We lost a good one there. Uh, as for the stadium situation in Columbus, I know that there has been in the past couple of years speculative talk about a potential move and, and putting a stadium in a, in a more central downtown location. I don't know if that's a move forward at all. I, I, I tend to doubt it at the moment. As for Alexi's question, Brian Cook, soccer with Brian on Twitter. I hope not. A win is a win. You might favor a different manner, but take a win for a win. Daniel, unsub underscore Dan. Nobody looks back and says we won, but with no style. I don't know. I I mean okay, the fans themselves. I guess I guess what Bron, what what Dan is saying is true in the in the in the sense that the fans of that team don't care. Unless I mean here in MLS, in MLS it might be a different mindset. I'll, I'll let me say this. Let me ask Rapids fans if we got one, <laughs> if we got any out there listening to the show right now. Rapids fans, do you feel awkward at all 
about winning that MLS Cup t- uh, title. 2010, was that it? Do you feel weird at all about winning that title with a team that almost to a person is identified as the ugliest championship team in terms of style that we've ever had in MLS? At least in the MLS 2.0 era, and that's the last 10 years. Does anybody in Colorado, does any Rapids fan feel weird about that one? Because that may be the measure. That may be where we, uh, that may be the, the, pe- the be- people best suited to answer Lexi Lawless's question. Brad Gilbert, BCG the first on Twitter. Regular season, yes. Playoffs, no. Hypocritical, maybe. <laughs> Want to win with style in the regular season over the course of 34 games. Once we get to the playoffs, throw all that crap out the window. I just want to win games. Does Who cares? Who cares how you play? Shut it down. Ten men behind the ball. Kick everybody to the ground as long as you win. Because it becomes about, it becomes about that trophy. Now, that's a problem for knockout soccer in general, right? That's part of the reason we are... When we get to the knockout rounds of the World Cup, the, the quality of the soccer, the quality of the game, the entertainment value of the game tends to drop pretty precipitously because it becomes more about win by any cost than it is about let's play our style, let's, let's stick to our philosophy, let's be fun, let's be expansive. Nobody wants to be expansive. What does expansive mean? Expansive means that look what's happening to, as I pull my hands apart here. If you can see this. Oh, look, there's a lot of space in between my hands and that space that the other team can exploit. Phone lines have seemed to, to be dead on a Monday. I can't blame you guys. We're coming out of the uh, short week with the Thanksgiving Day holiday. I uh, hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you have uh, had a wonderful weekend. I hope you have a, a wonderful Monday. Let's wrap this one up. Thank you very much to Christian Hennage for joining us, talking all MLS. We'll talk about talk to him and, well, we'll talk to other people, I suppose. Uh, about the Premier League coming up in the next couple of days. We do have the the week of build-up to MLS Cup Final on Sunday in Columbus. We'll talk uh, about that game a lot, I imagine. Also, make sure you grab uh, your Sirius XM uh, subscription so you can listen to me on Sirius XM FC, and you get to listen to all these other great shows, okay? All right, thank you to Producer Trevor. Thank you to Joseph Arcaller, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Later. <laughs>